G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. As a reminder, the clarity of the recording isn't quite as good as when we can do this in the studio. So our apologies there. But as I've said each week, it's important that we continue with the programming, even with COVID-19, making it a little bit different for us and having to do things remotely instead of within the studio. Now, today I'd like to introduce you to Robin Carruthers, who is doing a doctoral degree in English language and literature under the supervision of Dr. Asha Varadharajan. Welcome to Grad Chat, Robin. Thank you very much. Now, Robin, this isn't the first time you've been on the show because we actually had a conversation back in 2017. Mm -hmm. But like your colleagues, Jordan Lane and Suyin Organ, you're further along in your research now and you've actually changed it slightly. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to hearing how you've changed it. And of of course, you're you're almost complete. Uh, I know you said in a chat just before we started, you said you're hoping to finish by the fall of this year, which is fantastic. Definitely. Um, So it's nice to see what happens from when you're first thinking of your research topic and how it can change along the way. So I'm looking forward to that. So the title to your research now is Foreign Relations, Contemporary Travel Writing and the Unsettling Poetics of Foreign Space. So as we've done before, can you just give us a brief overview of what that all means or what you're sort of looking at right now? Okay, so I study, in a nutshell, contemporary travel writing and how it shapes our ideas about who, where and what is foreign in the world today. And I think normally when I explain my research, I really have to begin with, you know, what is contemporary travel writing? It's mm-hmm. it's the question I get from pretty much everyone kind of going, does this count? Does this count? Because I think one of the things that's fun, but also a little bit unwieldy about travel writing as an object of study is that it can encompass a lot of different forms. So it can be anything from guidebooks to you know, diary entries, journal entries, ship's logs, to the more sort of conventional personal travel essay, poetry collections, memoirs, autobiographical novels. So what holds that genre together is really that it's all of these forms are writing or telling stories about travel. So in my own study, I would look at texts that you would think of, you know, in scare quotes as more literary examples of travel writing. So by that, I mean works that you might classify as travel memoirs. They're ostensibly nonfiction, but they still use a lot of the techniques that you associate with literary fiction, things like, Mm -hmm. you know, really developed thematic lines, symbolisms, metaphors, really deliberate structures. So it looks at reality, travel in the quotes real world, but it it sits at that really interesting crossroads of fact and fiction. So that's pretty much the travel writing part of of what I look at. Although even, even then, travel isn't all that straightforward. And this is part of what drew me to this topic. 
because we often think of you know travel as the leisurely activity you know yeah but it doesn't necessarily have to be thought of that way so for example you know why is a, a traveler a traveler as opposed to you know a refugee or a somebody who's you know, living right. in a diasporic reality or, or something like that. So I think when you th even begin with the question, what's travel writing, you have to think of, well, why do we consider some things travel, some forms of movement and mobility are travel, and others are something else. Right. Another example would be, you know, is a traveler a tourist? Um, a lot of sort of self-professed travelers mm -hmm. insist there's a distinction. But, you know, it's not always that clear that there's a, that there's a difference. Travelers often kind of think what they're doing is more profound or authentic as a form of movement than tourism. But again, some of those distinctions get a little bit hairy. So that's just part of the studying travel writing that I do, you know, think through those kinds of questions. I guess the second bit of that title <laughs> that you read out earlier yeah. <laughs> is, is looking at foreign relations. That's the, the main title, right? Mm. So for me, what really distinguishes travel writing is that it has to, in some sense, be engaging with the foreign or some experience of foreignness. Um, if it doesn't, really, it's not a form of movement we would think of as travel. It's, you know, it's movement, but not that. Travel is about that kind of encounter with something foreign. And I think it's actually a really important question to think through how we shape foreignness, how we think of it. Even examples from the news recently have reinforced in my mind that it is a worthwhile thing to look at. I'm not sure if you recall, but the quote of Donald Trump referring to COVID-19 as a foreign virus right. and sort of other certainly racially charged ways of referring to COVID-19, like the Kung flu, that are problematic to say the least. They're very charged. Yeah. They're designed to seize on your imagination and, and say, oh, a foreign virus. It's that's from somewhere else, somewhere that's different from us, something threatening. You know, it, it really try to right. charges people up by using that term foreign in a sort of a broader rhetoric or discourse that really layers aggressiveness onto, onto it. So for right. me, it's not just an academic exercise. It's important to look at how we think of foreignness. And so... I guess another way of sort of talking my way into, you know, how I how I look at foreigners and why is years ago I read a travel text by Julio Cortazar and Carol Dunlop called Autonauts of the Cosmo Route. And it was a very fun kind of tongue-in-cheek exploration this married couple took of just the rest stops between Paris and Marseille, which is familiar to them. They live there. You know, it's their regular highway, kind of the rest stops along the way. <laughs> but they adopted sort of very tongue in cheek the, the techniques and language of sort of a 19th century explorer. So they took on this, this sort of the persona of the, the adventurer, explorer, travelers to describe a very, very familiar area. But that reinforced to me that even though they're it's a bit of a parody. It's a bit of fun. It is a very sincere way to just look at something that otherwise might be familiar by making it into something that you look at as something foreign, something different from the everyday. And that's really what travel writing has to do. So is that because of the time difference? They were looking at it from the 19th century as, as, as opposed to today? Um, yeah, I mean, that was part of their humor for sure, because they are contemporary travel writers. And so they're playing off those old tropes in a new contemporary way. But I think it still is 
it's all travel writing in some form has to look at things through that lens of foreignness. Otherwise, it's it just isn't travel writing at all, right? It's something else. And it's also when you're looking at foreignness, foreignness doesn't necessarily mean in a different country. That's right. Foreignness can mean really however the traveler is reshaping it or reimagining it. And that's why these contemporary travel texts are of such interest to me, because they really are reimagining it, at least the ones I'm looking at, with a very, you know, a reflexive kind of self-awareness of how travel writing has historically participated in far less productive, more sort of benevolent ways of constructing foreignness. And, And so I guess that's worth talking about. Travel writing has a history, a very sort of well studied now history of complicity in projects of empire and projects of colonialism. So a lot of travel writers from this, certainly, you know, 19th century travel writing, but more broadly, for sure, and up to the present date, kind of adopts this strategy of a, you know, a domestic home, home traveler goes out to the foreign territory, reports on what he, it's often he finds there and brings it back to the home territory for consumption to be understood, controlled. And it really did operate in a way that facilitated colonialism and conquest. Um, It made sort of these foreign places either exoticized as something that could be consumed or threatening, something that had to be controlled or surveilled or known through your colonial systems. So various ways that it's done it, but that's the history. So when you look at contemporary travel writers, I find they're often upsetting that dynamic. Just some examples, I guess. It's kind of easier to understand if you if you have some concrete concrete <laughs> examples. So one of them, the writers I look at is Raja Shahada, who's written a book called Palestinian Walks. And he is a native of, of Palestine himself. So he's automatically kind of upset that narrative right off the bat, right? Because he's the traveler who's a hill walker in his own homeland. And right. he writes a series of essays about his travels, his walking travels around right. the hills uh, there over a period of about, you know, 20 some years. So it's set within the context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And it shows how, you know, at the beginning, he's able to move very freely. But by the end, right. for various reasons, you know, alter- alterations to the landscape, he's no longer able to move that freely. It's much more difficult. There's all kinds of borders and boundaries being set up. So right. when you adopt travel writing as your form, he very explicitly refers to the history of travel writing, particularly in Palestine, and how it has facilitated a whole history of colonization, which he sort of says is continuing to this day in in new forms. But he's reversing kind of who the traveler is and how you can think of it. So that's what I mean of sort of contemporary travel writing tends to engage pretty explicitly with this history and often tries to turn it on its head. So do you think it's more like a political writing? You know, what is what are the what are the politics of the day of whoever's taking this journey? I think there's always a political dimension, certainly to your analysis of it. Raja Shahad is a very political writer. In fact, Palestinian Walks okay. won the 
Orwell Prize in Britain for political writing. And, you know, it's very clear. I mean, he's written this book in English. He writes mostly in English. And you can tell by the way he sort of glosses terms and explains things. It's for an English-speaking, largely Western audience. So the politics of even who you're writing this for and why is is definitely very relevant when you look at someone like Shahare. Other writers are less overtly political. Someone like Pico Iyer is another writer that I look at, and he has written many travel writing books. But one of the ones I look at in in my work is called Sun After Dark, Flights into the Foreign. it's a collection of essays that are, as its subtitle suggests, a little more flighty, they're, but they're meditations. They're more introspective. Right. So the pol- there's always politics there, but he would probably appear less explicitly political compared to Shahade. Yeah. Right. Looking more at what's happening at the moment for oneself as opposed to what's going on around it, you, where you're sitting. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, it's never that clear cut when, you know, how, how do you think of yourself in relation to what's around you? It always has a political dimension to it. Yeah. So I guess the question comes here is why recast it in terms of change rather than exterior versus interior? Because you've given me two examples there, more of the person looking at how he feels himself as opposed to the changes that have happened around this landscape that I'm just walking on. Right because of the, the political environment or climate change, whatever comes into that, you know, whatever made that, that journey change from the first time you perhaps did it. Right. So one of the central questions I ask, which I know we chatted about earlier, is what if we think of foreignness in travel writing as very different from how conventionally it is thought of. So conventionally, we think of foreignness, as you said in sort of your question, in terms of a dichotomy between interiority and exteriority. So by that, I mean something that's foreign is simply something that originates from an outside rather than an inside. That's not groundbreaking. That's really just if you looked it up in the dictionary, pretty much say that, right? Something that's foreign is something that comes from away, outside. It isn't us kind of a thing. It isn't from from a home, right? right? So what I ask, okay, well, what if instead of that, we think of foreignness in terms of the spatiotemporal contours of change? So instead of something that's out there rather than in here, we engage it as something that's, you know, an ever-emerging process of shifting and transforming. I know that's sort of an abstract idea, but it plays into contemporary thinking and scholarship more broadly. So by that, I mean, one of the big trends in contemporary travel writing is to look at reflexively globalization, your kind of location within a global order of relations. That's not too surprising, right? Like it's a contemporary moment. Globalization has been talked about throughout the sort of 80s, 90s. We're very attentive to us existing in a broader you know, network of relations around the globe. So contemporary travel writers are really attentive to that, and they're attentive to the kinds of global flows and processes of movement that kind of shape who we are in very relational ways. So in essence, scholars have started to think more in terms of process, flow, change than just, you know, firm, fixed boundaries of location here versus there, our own national boundaries versus someone else's national boundaries, right? We kind of think more in terms of these processes. Right, right. So that's kind of the impulse toward to ask about foreignness as what used to be just an identity or a location, now more as a process of these flows and, and relations. So that's the impulse towards rethinking right. it in those terms. So I find this fascinating, this because it's called mm-hmm. travel writing, right? 
and because to me travel writing like you said before sometimes it's it's fictional sometimes it's non-fictional you got the mm-hmm. the lonely planet guides and all those sorts of things so so where do you see something and i'm probably going off topic a bit where do you see some something like the lonely planet guide coming into your work or does it come into your work um, well, it doesn't come into mind very much, except as kind of, you know, you got to get the lie of the land. What is, what is travel writing? What is travel? Those kinds of questions that you keep in the background. I know that, you know, others, other scholars do look at something like a guidebook for some of the assumptions that you might want to tease out. So a guidebook's very different then to what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's certainly different from the kinds of texts I, I have to focus in on. That's actually one of the, the challenges I faced in doing this dissertation is coming up with sort of a rationale for how you're going to narrow this topic down, right? Right, which is probably why it changed, did it? <laughs> <laughs> it changed quite a bit, yeah. I think you'll remember uh, last time we talked, I was talking a lot about memory. Memory, that was originally that my focus, really, travel writing and the mm-hmm. contemporary politics and, and poetics of memory. Now that's a little bit in the background. It's still there because it's pretty hard to study particularly travel memoirs without memory coming into it. <laughs> or the politics of, you know, history, colonization, all that stuff. Memory's going to be relevant. But it definitely shifted to more just something that now sits in the background as opposed to the a question that you really focus in on. And instead, I just kind of attended instead more to this problem of foreignness, because I think it it's more a straightforward question to keep a project like this hinged together, kind of. Well, I actually think your your definitions of this foreignness makes it easier to understand, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I'm having more uh, luck with the, the looks of comprehension rather than confusion when I explain it now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so, so what what are some of the conclusions you have drawn or are drawing from your study of contemporary travel texts? Because I'm, I'm sure there's lots that you're coming out with. Yeah, I think one of the things that is striking me is that there seems to be a move towards really looking for connection and relation in the, in the texts that I'm looking for. So... You know, I think there's this moment in shifting from sort of modernity to postmodernity where there was this real interest in fragmentation, suspicion of metanarratives, that kind of a thing, which that's, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, common knowledge of postmodernity. And we looked more at fragments and pieces and things like pastiche became a mode very popular in writing and in, in that moment. But what I see now in these the contemporary examples I look at is still this fragmentation because, for example, Pico Iyer and Raja Shahada, the two authors I just talked about, both write essays in the essay form and they pull a bigger narrative together from those pieces. So they still have this interest in moments and fragments and structures that are attentive to that. But at the same time, they are really looking at drawing conclusions that are a little bit more pulling everything together. They're really kind of seeking a wholeness or a unity. And that's something that's a bit subtle and hasn't really been talked about too much. 
is this kind of renewed interest in that and travel, not just to encounter otherness as something really radical or exotic or unknowable, fragmented from us, but a sense of an us that's coming out of this, a bigger, an emergent we that comes from these processes of engaging foreignness as something that's always changing, sometimes, you know, something we experience and move through and, and it's in, in flow and flux. Just Gosh. another example is Sarah Wheeler's a, a great writer who writes about polar exploration in kind of a tongue-in-cheek, fun, quippy way, but also with a spiritual inflection to her writing. Okay. And so I guess in the, it must have been in the, in the 90s now, she wrote a book called Terra Incognita about the Antarctic. And in that text, you know, she kind of explored it as a, a little bit of a utopian space, a, a space where the various nations of the planet have gone and come together and, and do research but at the same time has no indigenous human population. It's a space, a tabula rasa kind of space in, in, in the world's imagination. So there's an emergent we from that. Who are we as at a planetary level looking at the poles of our globe? More recently, I guess it was probably 2012 now, she wrote about the Arctic, the other pole. And so she wrote that one, the Magnetic North, notes from the Arctic Circle. And she explored that one on different terms. The Arctic is, of course, definitely populated. It has many different indigenous groups, as well as it being sort of divided along nationalistic lines. It is very relevant for military past and present. So it's a increasingly sort of militaristically relevant zone. And of course, it's a place Mm -hmm. where we're all watching in terms of climate change. So it's this kind of space where it both is very fragmented in terms of different people's cultures, a place of that's very unsettled, not unknown, but, you know, unquiet for sure. But at the same time, her text by the end seeks a narrative about who we are as just humans on the planet looking at this pole of the globe. And so there is an emergent we coming out of it from just kind of the relations of us all being on this planet and, you know, potentially all at risk from the kinds of threats we see in the Arctic that are largely produced by ourselves, endangering ourselves. So those are some of the trends I see. These are three very different travel texts doing very different work. Like Ayer is very much a, a global soul who takes these flights all over the world, crisscrossing the Zobe, kind of a cosmopolitan. Shahade, very much focused on the politics of place in Palestine, he's kind of the flip side of Ayer's globalization coin, where he looks like this is a global conflict, but it's it's very embedded in history and, and place. And so he <laughs> takes a different approach to that. And then Wheeler is, you know, since almost scaling up to the planetary level, looking at, you know, not just globalization, but planetarity and, and how we are on our planet. But all of them are very attentive to sort of fragmentation in the world and these kinds of problems, but still seek a kind of a wholeness, a, a we that comes out of it that's very relational. Have you found in any of the texts that you've read, apart from the, the three different areas you looked at, you know, ones that being more political, one looking at this, you know, the travel through time, etc. Have you found any any differences, say, from someone who, I'm assuming they're all writing in English, but have come from war, war-torn countries to those who are supposedly in a more comfortable environment to or, or an environment of privilege. Um, do you, have you found differences along that? It's a great question because I think there's a lot more work to be done to be able to even articulate a very sensible answer. And it, I think it's going to have to be, in a sense, 
it's a project that continues. I think one sort of issue with travel writing, if you're going to study it, the genre as it's understood conventionally, is that there's always a dimension of privilege. Mm. Travel writers simply have... Right, because they've been able to move. Yeah, they're able to move and they're able to write And they're able to write in a manner that gets picked up by publishing houses. If they want to write to an English-speaking world, either they have to write in a language that produces a text successful enough to be translated for an English-speaking audience, yes, or they have to write in English. So there's there's all these aspects which really, you know, in a conventional sense, mean that travel writers do come from a position of privilege. It doesn't mean that they can't say very valuable things and they can't include potentially the stories of those who move and or travel from a, a less privileged position, but it, it definitely is an issue. So even someone like Shahade, right. where you can say, look, he's he's writing from the position of the Palestinian unsettled by, by Zionist settler expansion. Right. He is still, he's not the conventional right. sort of white Western travel writer traveling out, coming back. But there has to be a dimension of his privilege in order to be able to produce this book. So I think some areas where I can probably go forward looking at for those kinds of differences is to be looking at really different forms of writing that don't necessarily fit the convention. And some of those can be memoirs of some somebody say like if you're you know you refer to sort of war torn areas people who are refugees from those areas you've got some you know memoirs of even child soldiers that kind of a thing so i just feel like right now when people say we're studying travel writing they don't mean that really so i think it's going to have to be kind of a study that looks at entanglements between different different kinds of writing that think of mobility and movement in different terms so do you think the word travel writing is the wrong expression for it then? Yeah, and at least in a conventional sense. But that doesn't mean that that's not a necessary study to take on. Why is that not travel? What do we mean by travel? Where are there similarities? What are the differences? What do those similarities and differences tell us about movement, mobility, dwelling in the world? So those are very relevant questions. I think this is certainly a, a first big project for me and study to take on. Why is that not travel? What do we mean by travel? Where are there similarities? What are the differences? What do those similarities and differences tell us about movement, mobility, dwelling yes. in the world? So those are very relevant questions. I think this is certainly a first big project. So I, I think it has to be sort of you got to keep it tailored. So I think it'll be kind of in the front matter. I'll, I'll address those questions, sort of the introduction laying out. Right. Which ones you're actually looking at within that context. Yeah. And I mean, a genre has to have a conventional boundaries, even if they're a bit fluid in order to hang together as an understood genre at all. Right. And already travel writing is pretty, yes. pretty free on, on the different kinds of forms that can belong. So, yeah, I mean, I think you just have to, if you're going to look at an object of study like this or a genre like this, you kind of have to get a bit comfortable with it being a bit open-ended. There's room for different texts to potentially be included or not included. I think in some ways it's more important than kind of questions of which texts count or which writers count, you can shift over to questions of scholarly practice. What kinds of questions are we asking? And any text that speaks to those questions can be a part of a productive conversation in the scholarly discipline. Yeah. Right. I, and I think it's it's very true, and a lot of people may not know this, but it's very important in, in research is you can't 
talk about everything. <laughs> Whereas so that introduction of what you are including and what you're not mm-hmm. and the reasons for each are really, really important. Um, otherwise, like you said, you would never finish. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to understand, you know, where does, where do journalist writings come in, you know, because there's some journalists that do a lot of travel. Absolutely. Part of their work. You know, how does that fit? You know, their kind of writing, how does that fit and, and things like that? So, yeah. And I mean, a lot of travel writers write in different modes for different purposes, you know, so it depends where you're publishing. Some some writers take on a more journalistic tone for some publications and perhaps a more sort of reflective personal essay tone for others. Journalism is definitely, you know, included within that genre for sure. Mm-hmm. Robin, you've done really well. Oh, thank you. It, it is interesting because I, I went back and listened to our first one and you've come a long way since then. And um, it's it's really good to hear where you are now. And clearly you're right at the end. So you have a good understanding of, of what you wanted to say. So, I, I, you know, well done on that. And I, you know, and I'm sure you're looking forward to the fall when you've actually been able to hand it in and defend it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) It's going to be a big celebration. It will be. (laughs) So that's awesome. Actually, I had one little thing I wanted to ask you before we finish. Mm -hmm. I remember last time you said you love to bake. I mean, I guess in COVID-19, you've had lots of chances to bake, have you? Or if you've put that to one side? (laughs) (laughs) I have definitely been doing a lot of cooking more than baking. I've been spending time in Ottawa with my family, so a lot of my baking trays and pans and tools are all locked up in Kingston for the time being. So I've had to shift uh, to over to to other things. But yeah, I mean, definitely cooking. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. I wish you were living closer and I'd come and sample it. But anyway, we can't do that right now. Robin, thanks very much for coming on the show. Great chatting with you again. And best of luck for finishing this off. I know um, it's going to be awesome and you're going to do really, really well. So I do appreciate you coming back on to saying, telling us where exactly you are now. So well done on that. Uh, thanks very much. It's uh, it's always fun to come on and chat. <laughs> Excellent. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.